Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Baruch Levy, also known as B. Thanks for tuning in. This is the final in my three-part trilogy of reimagining, rethinking the holiday, the holy day of Passover. It's not for Jewish people. It's for any people. It's for every people, anybody, because it's an actually, it's a universal message that's been part of our ethos here in America um, since the founding of this country, certainly part and parcel of um, the, the Bible, the second book of the Bible, also known as Exodus or Shemot in Hebrew, which we'll be talking about, and um, the center of the journey of Christianity. Last night, we had our first Passover Seder. As I'm recording this, it's the day after. I'm a little hungover. You're supposed to drink four cups of wine, and I'm not a wine drinker, so one was enough, two, fine, three was too many, and four was beyond. Um, and it just got, I just I just don't like wine. No offense to you wine connoisseurs out there. I wish it was beer, but beer is not uh, kosher for Passover because it has wheat and grain in it. But the bottom line is I fulfilled the commandment to drink the four cups, and I am paying a little bit of a price today. I'll tell you about that. But I say that because um, we have a lot of, we always have um, people who are not Jewish at our Seder table, at our Passover table. And they um, are always amazed to hear the connections between Judaism, Christianity, um, and understanding the context of Jesus, you know, the Last Supper, being a Passover Seder. And I think it's really deeply edifying for Christians to reclaim their roots, and it's their roots. So um, they were definitely engaged, as was everybody else. It was a very youth-oriented Passover Seder. Um, four kids all invited their friends. Right now we got a lot of renovation going on in our kitchen, so it had to be relatively small. It was 20-ish people and all under, you know, Ariel and I were the oldest by far. But it um, gave us an opportunity to engage them in what I'm going to talk to you about today, which is a third part of our journey of reimagining this as not an exodus. You know the story, you've seen the movie, you've seen the cartoon, it's a great story, but it's not the way it's usually told. It's not about a leaving. Exodus means exit. It means leaving. And it's usually told as a journey of the Israelites going from slavery to redemption by physical journey. And then every year as Jews, we recreate the journey around our Passover Seder, our Passover table um, with the Seder, which is the structured meal. That's what Seder means. And telling the story. But the thing is, is most Jews don't realize it's a spiritual journey. Like you don't have to leave your home and go out into the world to have this kind of a journey. And you don't have to um, think of the rituals as sort of check boxes that you go through and you fulfill the obligation to, um, you know, to, well, to check the boxes on Passover. It's, it's a deeper 
much deeper teaching on that. And that's where I turned to Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical tradition that says all you need to know about the holy day of Passover is in the name of what you're doing. So first of all, we're looking at the book of not Exodus, but in Hebrew, Shemot, which means names. And it's a story about what it means to have a name, an identity, not just your name on your you know, photo ID, but who you are, where you've come from, to know your roots, what it means to lose that connection, to lose connection to your name. I'm a logotherapist. I help people all day, every day find their name. According to Kabbalah, Viktor Frankl, my teacher and mentor, calls it your logos. You can call it your meaning. You can call it your why. You can call it your essence. You can call it Bob. It doesn't matter what you call it. You know it when you're in it, when you're living your name, your truth, not somebody else's, not what your parents wanted for you, not what your spouse expects from you, but yours and yours alone. And when you're in it, when you're connected to your name, your identity, purpose, your why, you're free. The challenge is, is we lose it. We lose our connection to it. We lose our understanding of our why, of our purpose. I work with people primarily from about 40, 45 onwards, because up until that point, we think this is my why. I am my profession. I am my roles, my my titles, you know, even good ones. I mean, being a mom, being a dad. And then what happens when the kids leave and they're on you know, the empty nest? Well, that's my why. I got a real problem because my why has changed and it's not your why. It's part of what you do. It's part of why you're here, but it isn't your core why. Your core why, as Frankel calls it, is your defiant spirit. That thing in you that can never be taken. The world can strip away everything around you and it will. And at the end of the day, you have power over one thing, your essence, your logos, your name. And so Passover is a story about what happens when we lose that connection, when we lose our name, we go into slavery, we go into servitude. No, maybe not physically, but certainly internally. And Frankel calls this the inner concentration camp, that you are reduced, you are imprisoned, you are trapped. You may seem like you're free on the outside, but on the inside, I work with so many people who are anything but free. How do we get back to freedom? You don't have to go walk from Egypt to Israel to get there. Every holiday, we gather around the Passover table, have the Seder, the order, the structured meal. Again, not to just check the boxes. What are we doing? We read from this little booklet, and that's all we need to know because the booklet is called, pop quiz, anybody Jewish or not Jewish, a Haggadah. So you read from the Haggadah. That's that little booklet that's designed for Passover. There are thousands of versions, but they all contain within it the story of the Exodus with lots of embellishments and themes. There's a Buddhist Haggadah. There's a um, environmental Haggadah. There's a, I mean, there's just a billion different versions, but they all are versions and variations on the same story. The Exodus, Shemot, the journey of names. And what's the point? The point is, is that we're supposed to gather around the table and tell the story. And that's where I want to pick up today because we've, we've been talking about what it means to lose your connection, your purpose, your why, your name, and how to get it back. Well, one of the things that the Kabbalists understood was that the Israelites who embody all of us, we're, we're supposed to see ourselves as the Israel, the ancient Israelites. We're supposed to see ourselves in the story and understand um, our own personal 
journey of Exodus of, of reclaiming our name. One of the things that's lost in the journey of the Exodus that the, sends the Israelites into servitude, into slavery, into their own inner concentration camp, is they've lost, according to one of the great mystics, uh, the mystical traditions, um, it's from the book of the Zohar, which is sort of the foundational text of Kabbalah, is they've lost their ability to speak, to communicate. And that is a symptom of the concentration camp. Again, Viktor Frankl says, yes, there, there were real concentration camps. There are. He went through four of them. But there's also this thing called the inner concentration camp. And that's when we have been victimized and we lose our power. And one of the ways you can see that, I see that in my own life and counseling other people, is we lose our ability to articulate what's going on inside of us. When you're, when I'm working with somebody who's gone through depression, um, there is this constriction, this narrowness. They can't even articulate what they're going through. And that's, that's the inner concentration camp. That's why in Hebrew, Egypt is called Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means narrow and constriction. And when you see the Israelites, it's not just they're in a geographical place called Egypt, it's that they're in an existential place called Egypt. They're in a, they're in a narrowness in their identity, in their ability to communicate, in their name. One of the things Frankel talks about during the Holocaust, he um, documents this in Man's Search for Meaning, is that the prisoners stopped communicating because they were starving to death, because they were being worked to the bone, because they were in fear. And that's by design, right? When evil regimes want to annihilate a people, you give them back-breaking work, which is what we talked about in the past podcasts. You break their physical bodies. You, um, you break their spirit by treating them with indignities and, and again, starving them and just reducing them and shaving their bodies and taking away their literal name, placing it, replacing it with a number. So Frankel had 119104. He was given that number at Auschwitz, as were others, literally and figuratively taking away their name so they can't communicate. You know, one of the things Frankel said in Man's Search for Meaning was the hardest thing for him was that he could only think about food. Right, because that's that turns you into an animal. Watch your dog or your cat sitting there salivating while you're eating. It's it's animalistic. And what he said was that was probably the most degrading part about being a prisoner was that he didn't have the luxury or the ability to even think beyond basic necessities, basic needs. They lost their ability to communicate. And so yesterday, or the last podcast, the second podcast we did on this, we talked about the women of the Exodus awakening, arousing within the men their, their memories of who they are and where they've come from and what they're about. And that was getting them back to beyond just the basics of human survival, of necessity, to this deeper place. And that was that's intimacy, that's arousal, that's desire, and that's what set in motion, the Exodus, according to the Jewish mystics, were women of the Exodus reawakening in the men this deeper desire for more than just survival. Survival's not enough. We had a conversation last night around my Seder table about this. 
one of the mistakes we've made in, um, in, in grieving, and you know, I see this with when I used to do funerals, is talking about surviving. It is a starting point. When you are going through hell, right, you want to be able to survive. When you've lost a loved one, the starting point is survival. But it's not an end. It's a means. We got to do more than survive. This One of the biggest tragedies I've ever seen is when somebody loses a loved one and they die with them. They may still be above ground. Um, I saw this with my grandfather, Harold. He, um, his wife, my grandmother, uh, took her own life. I've talked and written a lot about this. And he died with her, although he stayed alive for another, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. But he was a fragment, a fraction of what he could have been, what he should have been as a grandfather. He instead, I'm not judging, but instead of going to the grave with her emotionally and spiritually, he could have, he should have lived more fully, loved more fiercely, double time, right, for her and for him. That's the commitment we make to our spouse. That the surviving spouse will do more than survive. They will thrive. They will live. They will, they will show up and be there for the children and the grandchildren and others because we don't serve our loved ones by going to the grave with them. We serve them by living, by thriving. And this is one of the magnificent messages of Viktor Frankl and his example to go forward into life and yes, to survive and then to pick ourselves up and to build on top of that, not just get back to a level playing field, right back to neutral, but now to go above and create and do good and live fully and love fiercely. And that's easier said than done. Because when you're in the Mitzrayim, when you're in the Mitzrayim, when you're in the narrow, when you're in the constriction, when you feel like you're in that inner concentration camp, the last thing you can do is get access to that ability to communicate, to have intimacy, to connect. And that's the journey from slavery to redemption. How does it happen? Well, last night I saw it in action. And probably around the world, other Jews saw it in action. And that comes down to this idea of the Haggadah, the telling of the story. What does Haggadah mean? Lehagid in Hebrew means to speak, to give voice. When I work with people, counseling them, I don't care what kind of trauma we've been through, we all have traumas. The way to the, the problem with trauma is we become victimized. We do. Life victimizes us. Circumstances victimize us. It can be a divorce. I work with lots of people. I think divorce is one of the most victimizing experiences a human being can have. And, you know, the person who you were supposed to be intimate with, you were sharing your life with, ultimate, and then there's a betrayal. All kinds of betrayals in there, but just the betrayal of our commitment to each other. And so we're now going to divorce. And it's like they're taking your voice. They're, they, for a while, take your voice with them. We feel victimized. We've lost our voice, our identity. And so we shut down emotionally. We don't want to be heard again. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable, unbearable suffering. Even the best divorces are terrible divorces. And so what happens? We outsource our power. Our power is gone. That's what victimization does. The victimizer has our power. But so, so the work of, of recovery, of healing, of leaving 
slavery and getting to freedom again is taking back our power. And how does that happen? By taking back our voice, taking back our version of the story, to tell our story. Because what happens is, in that victimization, we start believing the circumstances, believing the X, believing the whomever or whatever is happening to us. And we start telling their story. And that's the work of Passover, reminding us to tell our story. There is no their story. There's our story. There's my story. Teacher of mine, um, of blessed memory, Jonathan Sachs, famous rabbi, said, "There's maybe I said this in the previous podcast, I'm saying it again, there's no word for history in the Hebrew Bible. None. You will not find a word for history. In modern Hebrew, it's historia. You can hear that's not um, Hebrew, that's English. Because there's no word for history. Why? There's no such thing as history in Judaism. There's only, in the Hebrew Bible, memory. And what Dr what doctor, what um, Rabbi Sachs says is the difference between history and memory is history is his story. It's her story. It's their story. It's not my story. Memory, however, is alive. It's here. It's now. It's not past. It's now and now and now and now. And when we're in the now, there is no history. Show me where the history lives. Show me where the past exists. There's now and now and now and now and now. And if it's now, then it's my story. And if it's my story, I'm writing it. It's not over. Others don't get the final say. Our ancestors don't get the final say. People around us don't get the final say. Who gets the final say? I get the final say. You get the final say because it's your story. So write your story. And in this story, you get to be the hero if you write yourself into the story as the hero. You don't have to remain the victim. We're all victimized. That's not a choice. But whether or not, as Edith Eager, a Holocaust survivor and a great logotherapist unto her, in her own right, says, the difference is victims right? Victimization is not a choice, but becoming a victim, taking up residence in the victimhood, living there, parking our ass and not moving forward on the journey, that's our choice or our forfeiting of a choice or our forfeiting of power. And we must take back our power to write ourselves back into the story, not as the victim, but as the victor. Get it? V-I-K-T-O-R. From victim to victor to become the hero of our story. How do we do that? Passover Seder, we sit around the table, lahagid, and we tell the story. What story? Um, Rabbi Nachman, a famous um, Kabbalist mystic says, all stories, your story, any story is a story of liberation. When you get consciously into the story, when you remember those who came before you and you tell their story, when you get into yours and you unpack the story and you take back your power and you get rid of the victimization or you defy the victimizers, you're telling your story. You're owning your story. You're writing your story. So when you go around the Passover Seder table, Everybody's sharing and talking and opening and leaving behind the constriction. That's the beauty of Passover and all of these gatherings. And it can be Thanksgiving, it can be Christmas. When you gather together with friends, with loved ones, and you tell stories, you tell ancient stories, you tell modern stories, you tell personal stories, you're opening your mouth and speaking the story, which is interesting 
because the word Passover is English, and in Hebrew, it's Pesach. Pesach, according to the mystics, comes from two words. Pe, which means mouth. Sach, which means speaking. Sicha is a conversation. So what is Pesach? The mouth that speaks. And what are we speaking? Haggadah, telling stories. And what are the stories of? Liberation. Liberation of those who came before us. Liberation of those around us. And liberation of our own stories. So what I do when I'm working one-on-one with a person is we tell their story and we unpack their story and we take back the power of their story. And now, <coughs> excuse me, we start consciously, intentionally writing our own story, figuring out our why, my why. My why is different than your why. But what I do is I work with you to help you own your story, know your why, so you can live it out on your terms and tell it literally and figuratively to the people around you. So opening our mouth and speaking is the beginning point of liberation. I remember growing up in a home where after my grandmother killed herself, we were not allowed to talk about it. There was a darkness uh, that enveloped my home. And I think it's partially why my father ended up killing himself because he became enslaved to that story and it became his inner concentration camp and the Mitzrayim, the narrowness, the constriction entered in and you can feel the, the, the throat close and you can feel the body close and you can feel the relationships close and everything was shutting down. Our work here is to defy the constriction by opening, not closing. Um, it's interesting that all religions have the name of God. Most religions have their Godhead, their God figure, and the name is similar. And it's the sound of ah. Why ah? Because ah is an open, it's an expansive sound. And the divine God, whatever you want to call her, is expansive. By definition, it's infinite. Buddha, Krishna, Allah, Shekhinah, Yahweh. I mean, the list goes on and on. In, in Hebrew, uh, Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. So, uh, ah, salvation, opening, expansion, defiance, the opposite of constriction is openness, and that's redemption. How do we redeem ourselves? How do we tell the story of Passover? By opening our mind, opening our heart, opening our hands, opening our lives, closing is destruction. Closing down is victimization. Closing down is fear. In nature, when things are afraid, they get smaller. Sometimes they get bigger, but oftentimes they get smaller. They make themselves smaller. They disappear. I, I saw one, recently one of those roly-poly bugs. I can't remember what they're called. Maybe they're called roly-poly bugs. I've been calling them that for so long. But you touch them and they go into this ball right, of, of protection. Well, we all do that. We're all a roly-poly bug. And we, we shut down in fear. What is our work here? It is to become defiant, to defy that. It's natural. You're not bad. You're not wrong. You're protecting yourself. You're surviving, but we're not here to survive. And that's the point of Passover. And that's the point of Easter. And that's the point of life is to have these moments in time when we can check in and see where are we constricted? Where are we in fear? Where have we closed off and shut down? And how do we get back to a life of openness, of expansion, of courage, of the defiant power of the human spirit? 
One of the ways is by gathering with one person, with many people, and telling the story. What story? All stories of liberation, all stories of success and of hope and of inspiration, not desperation. It's why I'm so committed to the work of Viktor Frankl and the book Man's Search for Meaning because I think it's a perfect example of telling somebody else's story, not as history, but as our story, as my story, as your story. Because no, you haven't gone through a concentration camp like he did, but make no mistake about it, you have or you will know your own inner concentration camp. And how do we get through our inner concentration camp? By looking at other examples like Mandela and King and Viktor Frankl to see what's possible, to see um, examples of men and women who didn't simply survive. They started there, but they didn't end there. What made Mandela great, what made Viktor Frankl great was that they went on to thrive. They went on to live. And how did they do it? By telling their story so that they can inspire us through our story so you could go on and tell your story. And that's the message of Passover, to take back our power, to take back our purpose, to not allow the world or or circumstances to victimize us, Um, so that we don't take up residence in that space, the victimhood, so that we don't forget or outsource our name, lose connection to our name, and start living in fear, which is not our name, and start living um, in reaction, which is not our name. Our name, your name, is uniquely yours, not the letters on your driver's license, but the letters, the essence of your heart. You are here to live your unique story, And Passover reminds us to take back your power, to open your mouth, to speak your story in a thousand different ways to a thousand different people, but to ultimately share the beauty and the blessing of your story, of your name. And that's the work of Passover, to journey from slavery, constriction, to freedom, expansion, to leave behind the fear and move back into that place of courage, of faith, of moving forward in our lives to live more fully after a loss, to love more fiercely um, in the face of setbacks and trials, adversity, and to commit to um, getting back into the place, the space of consciously creating, choosing, responding our story and living it out in the time that we have here. And so that's uh, the message of Passover from the Kabbalistic or mystical perspective I didn't fully do it justice, never can. It's a very deep and ancient text, but certainly took a shot at it. We'll continue this, I'm sure, next year. I return to it annually, both because I'm in the midst of it and I do this work myself, but also I want to share my story and I want you to have more tools and resources to explore and share and own your story. If you want more on this, on the name, on identity, on defiance, well, you know where to find it defiantspirit.org. Jump over there. Got lots of different ways for you to reclaim your name, remember your name, live your name, defy your number, defy the fear, and um, live your beautiful defiant spirit. So thank you for tuning in. Happy Passover. Have a happy, meaningful Easter as well. Um, And I look forward to seeing you or talking to you in the next podcast. 
Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit.